Hi, this is Daniel Broad. I'm the creator of RSS Radio. You're listening to the App Guy Podcast. The App Guy Podcast. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. The App Guy Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. I'm your host, it's Paul Kemp. And uh, what I do is I don't just focus on Silicon Valley for the inspiration from uh, startup founders and people in, uh, doing interesting things on the uh, on apps and online. I also go everywhere around the world, anywhere that we can get inspiration from someone who's doing some really interesting things. And today, uh, it's one of my favorite cities in the world. I used to live there. It's Sydney, Australia. And uh, we're talking to David Jones. And David Jones is the founder and CEO of Streethawk.com. So you can just go and check him out at Streethawk.com. Uh, and he's going to talk to us about mobile engagement automation. David, it's a warm welcome to the App Guy podcast. Oh, thank you very much. It's interesting to hear a Brit actually say it's a warm welcome to an Australian, but it's a little bit cool here at the moment. So uh, thank you for that. Well, ironically, I am uh, actually really hot at the moment doing this podcast from a car and uh, maybe I need to open a window and get some ventilation or a faint. But uh, it reminds me of the heat that you get in Australia through the winter. Yeah, it's not happening at the moment. Anyway, I'll, I'll try and overheat you by some spicy stories then if you like. <laughs> so David, what made you go into being an entrepreneur, an online entrepreneur, and ultimately what led to you setting up Street Hall. Perhaps you can tell us in a few minutes that journey that you took for that. Yeah, sure. I think I was dropped on my head as a child, so that's probably the reason. But um, this is my third startup. I did two previous startups. Um, the, the first one was an email filtering business that I sold to a British company called Surf Control. Uh, Surf Control became WebSense. And uh, in fact, Surf, I don't know whether you know the north, north of England at all, but uh, Congleton was where Surf Control was based, which is a pretty funny place for it, but um, they were based in Santa Cruz, just out of Silicon Valley, and so I spent a lot of time between those two businesses, and uh, that was my first business, and um, I, then I started a second business, which is called Threat Metrics, and that's now doing really well. It's, it's headquartered in San Jose, and has got people all around the world, including about 40 people in Sydney still, in terms of engineering, and um, I'm involved on the board of that. Now, that was, those two particular startups were, one was a rules-based engine, so making real-time decisions uh, in the email space, and Threat Metrics was doing real-time decisions in the cloud, uh, basically for fraud, uh, fraud protection. And, uh, you know, I, I CEO'd the business through till about 2008 and um, raised a couple of rounds of venture capital and... Um, you know, flipped the business up into the US because that was the logical thing to do at the time. There was not much happening in terms of fraud in Australia, even though there was e-commerce happening here and there wasn't much happening in terms of uh, e-commerce in Asia. So the logical place where there was fraud and e-commerce happening was in the US. And so uh, hired a fantastic CEO and the company's gone from strength to strength. So I was with that company, became the CTO through till about 2011 and said to the CEO, look, I really want to do something mobile before it gets <laughs> gets too far along. And so uh, I was relinquished relinquished from the executive role and allowed to go off and play in the sandpit again. And uh, and so that's when the Street Hawk journey began, which was 
which has been very interesting. Mobile is a brutal place to play, to be because um, you know it's it's challenging to try and figure out how to monetize, and a lot of stuff gets done on the free level or the freemium level, and and so on. And uh, you know we've been navigating our way through that space, so it's it's been fun. Entrepreneurialism, I guess, is like a lot of people who get dropped on their head as kids. You know, you 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 really do appreciate the challenge and the creativity rather than actually just. Uh, you know, going and working for the man, so to speak. It's great if you can actually figure out not only the technology and the product, but figure out, I call it the Rubik's Cube. You know, you kind of keep twisting the thing until you figure out the right business model at the same time. Well, that's fantastic. And actually, on a, on a day where I read that in the news uh, that most people would prefer to work for a robot than for a human being as a boss. And uh, <laughs> I could actually believe that, you know, being an entrepreneur, speaking to an entrepreneur, there is this, uh, I guess, uh, uh, a sort of uh, untold story that you just would not want to work for, again for it. There's no going back, unfortunately. That's what I tell most people who ultimately leave their job because of this podcast is that there is no going back once you've tasted the uh, Kool-Aid of, of being an entrepreneur. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to start with the journey. Um, what was it like raising funds in 2008? How difficult was that? How challenging was that back then? I mean, 2008, the credit crunch, and uh, was that was that you know have you got any advice for anyone that's currently going through it right now? No, well that's interesting. I did raise um, so this is back in the threat metrics days. So I did raise just prior to all that happening, and I was raising with a specific mission. I think the one thing for entrepreneurs to think about is that if you actually go do uh, raise money, then you're actually supposed to be able to actually uh, enunciate what is the usage of that money, basically what, are you, what milestone are you funding to? So you're going from here to there and the money is going to help you actually get to that. And, and that particular milestone that you get there is either that you're going to become cash flow positive or profitable or you're going to actually then raise another value, uh, raise another round at a greater valuation. So for me, for me, I was raising to take a company that had actually established a basic kind of technology and some lighthouse customers to be able to flip that up into the US, turn that into a Delaware C corporation, um, as the term goes, and to, uh, you know, really grow the business out of where the strongest market was at that stage. So all of that happened. GFC was was on the tail of that, but actually not really a, not really a challenge for us. I know that it was certainly, um, you, you know, the... The funny thing about the GFC is it you know created a lot of a lot of sort of um, great uh, team cohesion and loyalty to business and so on because there wasn't so much wasn't so much happening or there was a lot of concern for being outside of that but the fraud business because of it being counter cyclical it's sort of like you know there's fraud when times are good and there's fraud when times are bad and so the business itself was actually fairly robust to that particular environment whereas we saw some of our customers you know dot commas that might have received that famous um, pitch deck, good times are over from Sequoia. Um, you know, those, some of those guys came and went with that particular difficult time. But, you know, our section of the, or our sector was, was pretty healthy because fraud maybe even upticked because of people had, you know, more time to go out there and generate some cash on the side by doing nefarious things. Yeah. And uh, let's talk about fraud because I think that's an interesting topic. I mean, uh, in terms of, 
like nowadays, uh, I mean, just again in the news recently has been Facebook. Uh, uh, Facebook has been really challenged by some of the advertising and the unethical advertising that you get on Facebook and the timeline. And clearly there are some kind of cases of fraud, click fraud, especially for uh, advertisers who advertise on apps. And, uh, you know, I see it. I see it time and time again. Maybe it's m not malicious or maybe it is where you uh, generate uh, false clicks for ads. Uh, and uh, do you have any ideas in the space of m mobile and apps for a, a business model s sort of around fraud? I guess the net summary of anything to do with fraud is that if the sector, if the segment is actually generating money, then you will attract fraudsters. Um, you mentioned click fraud there. So that was one of the sectors that I looked at and thought, could we do anything? We had an incredible uh, advantage in terms of what it, what I was doing, which was I started out from looking at botnet tracking and proxy tracking and stuff like that. And that was a natural um, solution to that particular area. Um, but the business model didn't work because um, at the time Google um, were starting to rebate users in an in a opaque kind of way that they would say, oh, these are false clicks or something like that. So um, there was no business model, and I know some companies sort of, you know, sort of doubled down on that click fraud type path. But I didn't, I don't hear of them these days. <laughs> I don't know what's happened to those guys. Maybe they've gone on to become, you know, sort of click analytics companies or something like that, you know. Um, but in answer to your question about in, in regards to mobile, then no, I don't know of any of those things. I think it's always about actually looking at the right kind of networks to advertise in, uh, or you know, to actually where you spend your money. Um, in in that sense, it's kind of you've got to look. I'm I'm not very strong at all in terms of what happens on the acquisition sides of mobile and so on. But if if there are ways of actually being able to measure attribution of any particular kind of install and and really, I'm a big numbers guy. I'm you know sort of okay by all means do a test and learn type campaign on something, figure out what your what your return was. I've written some blog posts about how stupid it is to try and go out and buy app ratings or buy app downloads because, uh, you know, those usually, they, even if they do convert, they don't convert to quality uh, quality users. And when I talk about quality, uh, with our business, Street Hawk, typically what we think of is in, in terms of you spend money and effort to acquire a user, why would you want to burn that straight away? You should be looking at turning your user base into an asset, and that means that that asset is actually a, either a uh, a monetizable asset or an asset that's going to help you with your own mo um, viral marketing. So uh, I've got posts on K-Factor as well too, which is the viral fan out. Um, that kind of stuff is really is really what you should be looking at if you're actually, you know, you're actually trying to build a business where you're ultimately generating more money than it costs to actually acquire the users. <laughs> so you, that that thing of actually making your users a monetizable asset. Well, that, that comes always back to that, doesn't it? Now, we will get, uh, I'd love to go into more detail about Street Hawk and what it is you do. Just before that, I did come up with an idea as you were talking there. Uh, I don't think there are any networks that are uh, measuring the time on the, maybe the website or the app. So when you click an ad in an app, like a banner ad or like a interstall or anything, uh, there, there needs to be, I think, uh, for, especially for the advertisers who are trying to attract traffic, there needs to be some measure of how long someone spends on 
the page, whether it's a download page or whether it's the, you know, when you get directed to Apple to download the app. Because I think that with fraud, uh, certainly, you know, trying to manipulate clicks, most times when you accidentally click and you get taken through to that uh, Apple page, you then sort of double click the home button, go straight back to the app and you realize it's a false click. And unfortunately, people are paying, you know, advertiser have just paid for that, uh, for that click. And so there needs to be some clamp down, I think, on on that for just the, the, the benefit of the industry. I agree with that, Paul, but uh, good luck with that mission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you see, you've got to look at, you, you must look at where the incentives are and that's, you know, you, you might say, okay, well, there's some injustice in terms of that particular stuff. Um, but unfortunately, everybody's kind of incented in that, and and sometimes sometimes the the advertisers incented to you know they don't mind spending the money as well too because at least some clicks are better than no clicks when they're reporting to their own management as well too. But you're dead right that click quality is a really big deal, and as you as you rightly said, time on page is a really good way in the web type space of identifying the difference between a bot and a human. Or a um, or a click a click farm. I'm I'm not even sure what the status of that is in the industry these days because I'm I'm not uh, not connected with it anymore. But there was a thing in those days where you could you know basically go out and hire hire a click farm to click on things, and that's probably still available through various services without naming names. But um, yeah, so that's probably the case. But it really is to me. It's really about actually ultimately building the right kind of user acquisition strategy. Um, which actually ultimately leads to, uh, you know, leads to quality quality users, people who stay with you for a while, and I think that's different for everybody. I mean, I think it's really, you know, for us, um, blogging has been a big deal. So actually doing high quality blogs um, to be able to actually talk about the issues that really matter to people. So that's that's because we're a B two B business. If you're a B two C business, then the way you target those users may be in the communities where real and genuine users already exist, or um, you know those kinds of things. If you're a game developer, then it's it's uh, you know possibly doing partnerships with you know people who've done great jobs in terms of acquiring game users before and so on. Well, you've just given the apps to tribe some of their first homework, which is if uh, if you're listening to this now and you're not running a blog, a high quality blog, then uh, I, I suspect that you need to start thinking about doing that and blogging about something that's related to your app as a way of attracting uh, installs to your app. So let's talk about Streethawk, David. That's um, uh, You've got an amazing website. I love it. It's very unique. Uh, Could you tell us about this phrase, mobile engagement automation? Yeah, well, it's you know it, it could change next week. The wording you're we're always doing we're always doing testing on those sorts of things. So uh, startups startups are really about trying to actually navigate to what resonates with your audience the most. So that's working well for us at this at the moment. And the story behind mobile engagement automation is that um, there's another term that's out there called mobile relationship management. Uh, or mobile marketing automation, or marketing automation is what's become a huge buzzword in the web industry. Um, so marketing automation might be the companies like Marketo or Eloqua or HubSpot or or even possibly Exact Target and so on. Those guys have grown up to be pretty big companies and so on in the web-only type space. And so we were we're basically positioning ourselves to be the equivalent of those types of companies in the mobile space and but it's not mo- it's not about mobile web it's about in-app experience so that once somebody's downloaded the application then how are you helping automate that user through the journey so what we found is is that our our, 
our long-term owner of the, of the solution that we deliver is probably the marketer or the product manager, but quite often the people we're talking to in the early days are the developers. And if you actually say the word marketing to a developer, they get out the cross and start to, uh, you know, say back, back and run an exorcism on you. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's an interesting thing. There's kind of like um, a religious response to something that you think is a kind of a harmless word. But, <laughs> but anyway, so um, a, lot of, a lot of people have preferred the engagement term because it's really what every, everybody's trying to achieve the same thing. If you're, if you're a product manager or you're a marketer or a developer, what you're trying to do is actually retain your users from a, from a, for a longer period of time. And in simple terms, um, the word churn or the word retention seems to be the, um, the word that people are waking up to. So that if, um, if I define churn as basically the exit of users from, from your app, so the people who actually cease to use it, whether they actually delete it from their from their home screen or whether they just stop using it, um, effectively, if they're not opening your app, the, your application, then they're churning away from your application. So churns quite often used in telcos or whatever. Um, retention is the inverse of that, which is which is you know people who actually keep using your application, and it's it's not really a matter of. Um, you know, you're not trying to be like Facebook. You're not trying to actually be in the user's day three or five, four times a day. If you've got a utility app such as, I, you know, one of my favourite apps is catching, catching a bus. Um, buses, buses in Sydney are completely random. They have a timetable, which I'm pretty sure they're, they are completely committed to avoiding. And <laughs> so this, this app, and there's, there's a few of those in Australia, but uh, this app is called TripView. And it's only relevant to Sydney or Australia, and um, but it actually relates. It takes the GPS feed off the off the buses, and so you actually know when it really is going to arrive. And I'm very thankful to the government for equipping that, you know, providing that data feed to apps like like TripView. But um, the point is, is that you know, I I allow TripView to time slice itself into my day when it matters to me, and um, and that's that's what's great. I'd, I'd, and I've seen some other ones to do with like gardening or planting that you might use once or twice a month. But the fact is, is the utility of that particular application is so valuable at that time. So for me, retention is really actually having some sort of monthly engagement with the user. If it's a utility type application or if it's a brand application or if it's a retailer type application. Um, and in a, in a game, it might be retention if you're looking at a, ba a baseline of People typically keep my app, you know, using my app for three or four days. Well, our sort of philosophy is about how can we actually flatten out that churn curve and allow people to, you know, basically stay engaged with the app for, you know, 10 days or 20 days, that kind of thing. Because usually the app developer is actually making a living based on that in-app in advertising. And, um, you know, if you actually increase the number of the number of views or the amount of time a person spending with the application that particular game, then uh, then the, the developer gets paid as well too and can have a few beers and a few burgers along the way. This is so important, David, because actually I'm connecting the dots on this uh, series of uh, podcasts that I've released through the App Guy podcast. And we were talking with, um, Dave, uh, with Francis Padraza of uh, Everest, and, and he 
reminded us that the important uh, yardstick for us now is not install rate, but uh, retention rate. And, and usually it's measured by um, one day and 30 days. And so what's your retention after the, the first day and what's your retention of these uh, users after 30 days? So could you t tell us a little bit about you know the average that you're seeing in the industry and what figures we should be perhaps targeting? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, yes and no, <laughs> because the industry, right. the industry is as broad as the, seg the segments that are around. So um, firstly, that particular quote, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, you know, sitting on my screen is a report, which I could, you know, I could, I don't know whether you have a website that accompanies the podcast, but I could yeah. give you a couple of screenshots of things. Um, I'm looking uh, at just on that then, so that anyone listening, uh, what, what we're about to talk about, just go to the appguy.co and search for the episode 144 David Jones, and uh, there'll be links to everything that we're about to discuss and screenshots uh, as well. So theappguy.co and just search for episode 144 with David Jones. So David, yeah, I'll definitely take that from you after this and put it up on the uh, show notes. Okay, good. So um, yeah, by coincidence, what I'm looking at is a 12-week um, cohort chart. A cohort chart is, um, is, is a way of actually viewing engagement. So 12 weeks ago, people installed the application. How many of those users are still using the application 11 weeks ago, 10 weeks ago, and now, you know, this week, how many are left? And so uh, with, this, with this particular, you know, application I'm, I'm looking at, after 12 weeks, sorry, after 11 weeks, it's basically dropped, dropped to zero. So these users have stopped using that after a three-month period, which is actually not bad. Um, if I look at, you know, if I look what happened is the users, the developer made a change uh, at week nine, and their retention rate is actually much higher uh, at this stage. So, so what's happening is that churn curve, which looks like a, uh, you know, a, 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 a ski slope, ski slope, which I could say yeah, probably. Snowboarding ski slope. slope. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So give me a non-skiing metaphor for a dumb Aussie. <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, the, so the curve drops off rapid, rad, rapidly and okay. you would, you would know yourself that sometimes you download apps and you might use them twice and then you don't use them again. If you have an app that you kind of like, you might use it for a week or so and then you don't use it again. Uh, and that's that, that's that churn curve that I call it. So uh, a cohort chart or a retention chart allows you to see, you know, maybe I made a change to the app in week eight and I actually got a better performance in terms of people actually really like that. I can see I'm heading in the right direction. That sort of thing. So that's one area. So when you say that engagement or retention is so much more important than acquisition, absolutely, because you know the customer that you can retain costs you twenty percent as much as the customer it costs you to acquire, which is an old sort of B two B or enterprise type thinking, which is where I come from. But that's the reality of it: that you spend so much time and effort to actually acquire users. When really, actually, if you can just make your product better and engage your users and think about think about your users, and uh, then you can actually retain them. And the way we specifically do that is we say, stop thinking about your users as one amorphous blob. Think about them as segments. So, you know, when you plug our stuff in, if you actually let the, you know, just you plug it in and you just run it as an audit, if you like, um, you... Um, for up to 20,000 users, it doesn't cost you anything, so you can do it. And basically what happens is these bubbles form, which are segments, and you you get to see who are the new users, who are the light users, who are the disengaged users, who are the zombies, 
and the zombies are the guys who've really, you know, really disappeared from your application. And how can I move people from being light users to power users? Those are the kinds of, you know, the kinds of questions you should be asking because if you can run campaigns around that kind of engagement, then you've got a greater chance of increasing people to increasing people's, uh, in you know. Uh, Reopening the application the increases their possibility that they're going to recommend to their friends or provide a positive app store rating, um, those kinds of things. And, you know, if you've got in-app purchases, then obviously that's part of it as well too, that you're actually increasing your revenues directly either by the people being involved in the application and loving it or it might be indirectly through advertising-supported type content in your app. That, that is a mine a gold mine that you've just provided us with and I, I'm actually trying to think of any time in the 144 episodes I've recorded where someone talked about segmenting the user base into those certainly those categories and I just think that you're absolutely right David I mean why on earth are we haven't we thought about this before where users are segments and and we I guess need to be targeting those users that are going to be um, what um, is sometimes referred to as the sneezers, where they sneeze your idea of your app out to the world and the <laughs> power users. And uh, I think that, that that's just a goldmine to think about. So yeah, thanks for yeah, sharing yeah. this. Well, I think that's a really – I haven't heard the sneezers metaphor before, but I think, you know, Malcolm Gladwell was the guy who kind of like defined the various characters characteristics within an ecosystem that actually sort of virally, virally, virally transmits. And um, – yeah, so the people who actually spread the word for you are in your app somewhere. And, you know, I kind of joke about it being, you know, they're the left-handed squash players who drive yellow Datsuns, who, who you know, live in Surrey Hills, uh, you know. And, you know, they're the guys who are actually the ones who really love your app. And they're the ones who are most likely that if they are asked to actually rate the app, then they will do it. Whereas, you know, these, you know, the apps, and I'm, I've been guilty of this myself, that, oh, if the users open the file... If you the, open the app five times, then I should prompt them to actually rate the app. In, and it's ridiculous. You know, as soon as somebody opens the app, they get, fa they get faced with this prompt to say, hey, please rate our app. And you go, go away. I'm trying to actually do something with your app right now. <laughs> so. Yeah, the, the, we've spoken about this before, and it's absolutely right. I think this, it's got to change. I mean, the, the amount of times where I, I love to leave reviews because I know how important it is to get a review mm. myself. And so, uh, but... You know, the, the big disadvantage of many of these apps uh, is that you, uh, even when you leave a review, you still get reminded of that pop-up. And it's always when you're just about to use the app. It's never when you're, you've kind of done your thing and then you're, you're going away and you've maybe got a few minutes to spare, yeah. but it's totally not working. Yeah, so. It just shows you how we follow these trends, don't we? Of, oh, that, that app's doing this, we need to do that. And suddenly that, everyone now puts that yeah this sort of social you know social proof or so-called best practice type thing which which comes and goes in waves and um you know it's always it's always subject to a debate and i think what we try and do is actually the philosophy behind what we do is you actually test and learn so you actually uh have a you know you want to try, try something out and you can drag and drop some filters and create a rule and test that out without actually having to go back to the code many times and you can actually test the performance of it and see the result of that. And if you want to run a, um, a split test, I'm not quite sure whether you've heard that term, but an A-B test or a multivariate test. So we can say, okay, we're going to try two different types of prompts to users or two different strategies to do with asking people for ratings. And we actually run that for a month or run that for a week and see what actually works better 
out of that. And then we double down on that. And then we adopt a champion versus challenger strategy to see whether we can actually, you know, better that in some way. So those are the kind of strategies that, uh, you know, you alluded to the fact that, you know, we haven't heard a lot of this. And I think it's really, uh, it's really just kind of people have got over the euphoria of, oh, well, I can actually measure my success by downloads. And now I'm actually measuring my success by something other than vanity metrics. It's something about retention. It's about, you know, really how I can actually keep people in, in the app and how I can c convert them to valuable users in that sense. Yeah, that's right. And uh, just um, uh, before we move on and uh, to other things, I, I just wanted to mention that uh, the per person that came up with that sneezes is Seth Godin, who oh, right. uh, has yep. written a number of different blogs. And in his, his um, metaphor was was based on the fact that when something goes viral, like a virus, it needs to be spread. And, you know, literally, you like a virus is spread through sneezing. And so you get users that uh, can be adopted into this segment called sneezers, and they sneeze out the virus, the viral idea, yeah. um, which is uh, the way I remember it. Um, so the other thing we like to do on the show before we say goodbye, as we're getting towards the end, is... Uh, we like to come up with an app idea and you've already shared with us your favorite app uh, trip view uh, which i'll put on the show notes but do you have anything like an app where you have thought about as you're in the shower or walking to work or grabbing your bus and you think actually that's a good idea for an app if you have an app and you're willing to share great if you don't we've got another way of fleshing out an app idea from you david <laughs> okay all right so very good um now, will I do this or not? Because I think I, I, I think I will. So this this gives me four weeks to actually figure out whether I want to do it or not. If you're going to publish in four weeks, uh, this, <laughs> <laughs> the deadline. I like it. Go on then. Okay, this is this is my killer app. For, this is this is my killer app for Kindle users. So I'm a um, avid uh, Kindle book reader, and I read them not the fiction books, but the um, but the uh, nonfiction stuff. And I I um, insanely uh, highlight text and make notes on on things. So being an entrepreneur, you're a gatherer of ideas and best practices and hacks and things like that. And so, you know, I do all these particular things and really, and, and um, what I really want to do is really collate those particular things and build them into a particular set of set of tools. So that's, I just think an app for that is um, an incredible opportunity I've not done it because I'm so busy and because I haven't figured out the business model for that. Um, at the moment, what I did was just hack up a quick Python Python thing at home to actually dump it out into a database and so on. But, uh, you know, I actually see that, you know, possibly that could become a collaborative community for um, uh, people sharing their insights about particular types of, you know, types of learnings and stuff like that. Maybe it's already been done. I don't know. I, I know there's a Kindle... You know, so when you, what happens when you go to Amazon and you can look at your, your Kindle notes, but it's not really useful and exportable and stuff like that. So anyway, that's that's the idea. Of course, my favorite app, you, you know, every every day or every couple of days and particularly on Sundays is Spotify, one of the most beautifully uh, built apps. The fact that they actually do things like relevance, such as that I'll actually get a sort of a a funny little comment of the app like who's hungry around lunchtime you know they've they've really thought about their users so i i just you know hats off to those guys they're incredible yeah it's uh, actually an app that i use every day as well and uh, uh one of our guests uh, recommended uh, sam jackson for uh, meditation uh, music and i'm uh, oh, using yes. that now to have a uh, 
uh, like little bits of meditation um, as well in my morning routine. So it's uh, in interesting that you know we get these popular apps and they like Spotify. Um, so uh, just uh, you know, thanks for sharing that. I'm going to now um, lay the gauntlet to the Appster tribe. Uh, people listening, if um, if you're interested in pursuing this, you can either go ahead and steal your idea, David, or perhaps more interestingly, <laughs> steal my get, idea. <laughs> get, more interestingly, get in touch with you and perhaps say, yeah, I'd, I'd do a joint venture with you or something to help you get this idea out to the world because I think that that sounds a phenomenal idea. And uh, there are apps that take blogs and have uh, people uh, speak to those blogs and uh, you know yes, I, yes. I, I, it, it just goes back to this whole wave of what we're seeing right now where we want our life curated and if I could go into a book and see somebody else's notes uh, highlighted or thoughts from certain sections of that book then I, I actually may be more tempted to read those than the actual book itself and you know some kind of shared system for that would be quite interesting yeah so it's a classic sort of user generated content type type thing so it's it's not a hard thing not a hard thing to do um i can't verify that you can get the <laughs> the snippets out of the out of the system and so on. i'm just so busy doing other things I've probably yeah. just given away the best idea I had this year, but anyway, there you go. <laughs> well, that, well, the beautiful thing is, at least you'll be a user of the uh, app if it does come out. So <laughs> yeah, I'd be very, I'd be very thankful well, uh, to actually just have the system and use it. I want lifetime, lifetime free though. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was going to say a frustrated one when you see the guys get bought out by uh, Yahoo and or Apple. Actually, just uh, before I got to mention this, you are into uh, metrics, and uh, there is a very big. Uh, a metrics company that, that app users use called Flurry, mm. and Flurry have been bought out by Yahoo as we speak. And I just wondered what you think, uh, your final thoughts on uh, some of the large, you know, metrics companies like Flurry getting bought out by the big guys. Uh, should we get worried? Uh, do you feel that we're? Do you, have you heard of that? Have, do you use yes, Flurry? Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. Sure. Uh, what do you so think to that? Yeah, it's a funny thing because, like, um, so we're a, basically a campaign slash actionable analytics company. So that stuff I talked about about segmentation is just kind of like a new form of analytics in a sense, or a user centric, user centric um, sort of approach to analytics. So you know, people quite often ask us, well, how do we compare against Flurry and? Uh, you know the fact that Flurry was free and all that, all that sort of stuff. And so I thought, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time on it, but I just thought that based on the price that I saw, which I think was around about two thirty or two fifty million, I thought that was actually an incredible uh, win for Yahoo. I thought that the, the the amount of user base that Flurry had been able to build over time was really um, really large enough to make it incredibly interesting to Yahoo. Uh, I think the question and the question for app developers is, okay, well, how will that data be used in the future? Will, uh, you know, will it actually be something that will, you know, sort of um, have some some effect in terms of how, how Yahoo uses the, the data for advertising and things like that? So um, that's interesting. Um, in regards to whether it changes, it, it might ultimately, I, I think probably what you'll find is that a lot of, and I have no basis for this, but quite often when companies uh, do get acquired, then the product uh, evolution starts to slow down. So, uh, you know, I would I would expect that any kind of hunger and innovation that you might have seen in the in the actual product type phase uh, will dis will disappear, and that's that's a good thing for companies like us because 
you know, we're hungry, we're, we're moving continuously, features are coming out all the time and, and so on and so forth, very innovative thinking. So I just don't think that you'll really see that come out of an acquisition like that. I think what, what will happen is, and this is possibly, you know, it, this is unfounded and not necessarily charitable, but ultimately the, you know, probably the key team members will move on, uh, you know, after some particular stage because payday's, payday will vest over a particular period of time. So. Yeah, that, that I agree with that. You know, we do find that mostly uh, when there's a large acquisition that, uh, you know, even if the the team is isolated to some extent, that but even then it's, you know, it's well, it's like we go back to the start of this podcast. We're talking about what it's like to work for someone else. And uh, <laughs> yeah. ultimately, when you get taken over, you report to the board uh, or yeah. to someone else internally. And uh, the very thing know, that drove you to get there in the first place is taken away from you. Yeah. yeah. It's ironic. So, uh, and I just, I, I want to bring it full loop around as well, because we did start talking off about fraud as well. And uh, I'm not saying that it's fraudulent, but maybe th th there is an ethical question about if you have access to all this data, such as, you know, Flurry does have access to uh, retention rates and uh, user acquisition strategies and all this stuff, lot for, for, for the entire user base, then you could just cherry pick some of the great things that are working and then use that in your own product set. And I just wondered if there's any... Um, safeguard for you know developers who are, are having maybe a you know a really good bit of fortune, a safeguard for that to to be kept private and confidential, or, or whether the metrics companies are you know potentially going to take that data and uh, and do an apple on them, which mm. is just come out with something that's equally as good. What do, what do you have any thoughts on that? Um. My, to be honest, my, my, okay, sure, you, you should go and you should go away and look at the terms and conditions of how your data will be used. That's an abs, that's an absolute thing, and see whether you're comfortable with that. So, that's that's a really important thing. The reality of things today is that you know things like app store optimization and so on. Those there's things that are changing all the time. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to be involved with a number of. Uh, a number of sort of startup accelerator type groups where where I do see what's kind of like the latest and greatest, greatest sort of growth hacking type approach for people doing, um, you know, user acquisition. And you can quite often read blogs by guys like Andrew Chen and so on, which tell you tell you about the latest and greatest. The, the point I'm, I, I guess I want to make is that anything that might have worked for somebody else may not be translatable to your thing anyway. You, by all means, go have a, go a look and go and have a look at what growth hacks really work, but you might find that some sort of tweak in terms of, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's Google tweaking Panda or whether it's, you know, the face, you know, something to do with the Facebook, uh, you know, wall algorithm changes or whether it's something to do with the app store optimization process changes. Everything's kind of changing enough these days and I still think that everybody should really come back and make sure that they look at uh, an engagement strategy. They look at that their product is surprising and delighting their customers. So the quality of the product, as opposed to sort of fo focusing too much on the hacks, uh, in a sense. So, yeah, you might you might see you might find some 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 methods that might have been really useful for somebody else in the past. They may not translate to you. And secondly, if they even if they did translate to you, they may be just a passing thing because everybody else learns about those hacks at the same time or very quickly. And, you know, so ultimately that particular hack becomes becomes diminished in its value over, over you know, a sh very short period of time these days. The grapevine, yes, uh, the grapevine moves very quickly, you know. 
Yeah, absolutely. I can I totally agree with that. Well, you've just said something that a lot of people will want to get in touch with you about, uh, which is that you know a lot of growth hacks and things that are working successfully. So on that, how best can people reach out to, to you, David? What's the best way of connecting? Um, you know, probably the best best way is just to shoot me shoot me a line at david at streethawk.com. Um, you can hit me up at uh, DJ in Oz is my personal Twitter account, DJ in Oz, I-N-O-Z. Um, so it, those, those two things are fine. Hit me up on LinkedIn. You'll just, you know, there's about a zillion David Joneses around, but I'm the David Jones, David Jones, uh, that does street hawk. So that should be pretty easy to find. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, David, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I've thoroughly uh, enjoyed going through the, uh, a lot of unique things that have not been covered before in the app guide podcast so i just want want to wish you all the best with streethawk.com let me know how me or my community can help you in anything going forward and we wish you all the best yeah thanks paul it's been great talking to you appreciate it thank you for listening to this podcast stay tuned for the next episode if you want to be a guest on the show or suggest someone then please send an email to info at onemob.com The App Guy Podcast.